Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, Now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath? And they could not answer him regarding these things. So he told the parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes in, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to him who invited him, When you have a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors. Lest they invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor the maimed, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. He said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must go see it. I ask you to have me excused. The other said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. So the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house might be filled. For I say to you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the parables that teach us about you and teach us about ourselves. We ask that you would reveal your truths to us very clearly today. And Father, if there's any decision that needs to be made, that that decision could be made this morning, that we made all things right with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. 
I know we read a lot of uh, this scripture and more scripture than we're going to cover verse by verse. But however, Luke helps us to understand this parable by providing several pieces of background information. First of all, the location. The location was a meal in the home of a Pharisee who was, of course, a leader of the Jewish people, which tells us that his house was filled with Jewish people, and not only just Jewish people, but the most Jewish of all Jewish people. Uh, you see, the Pharisees, they were called the separated ones. And not only would they separate themselves from the people who were non-Jews, they would separate themselves from people they didn't think were as good of Jews as they were. So there was a lot of elitism going on in this house, and everyone at the table, of course, was cleared by this Pharisee to deserve to be there, and everyone at the table felt like he deserved to be there because if you notice as we continue reading, Jesus told a parable when he noted how the people who came in was choosing the best seats. You see, when they had a feast, the person who invited folks to the feast obviously had a lot of friends. Everybody wanted to think he was the best friend, that he was the one of the guests of honor. And so the seats were arranged, of course, where everybody couldn't sit close to the host. They would jostle around to see who could sit the closest. Now, it says at the outset that Jesus went into the house and they watched him closely. Obviously, the watchers were being watched because Jesus noted how they were jostling around to try to find the best seats. And he told this parable, he said, when you go to a house, you'd better not do it that way because one of the better friends of the host will come in and he's going to uproot you out of your seat and you'll begin with shame to go to the other seat. He said, go in and just take the lowest place. Let the host decide where you may be seated because the host had no problem rearranging the seating. He had no problem sitting who he wanted to close to him. But we understand also he began to tell another parable and he closed this parable with this. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You are repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, as soon as he said the resurrection of the just, one of the guests piped up and said a remark in verse 15, Blessed is he who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, we have to understand, what did he just say? Well, you might say, well, he didn't really say anything that wrong. Well, actually, this was kind of like a, a toast. This was a toast that was offered at these kind of meetings. Because if you remember, who was there? The Jewish people, but not just the Jewish people, the self-proclaimed elite, the Jewish people of the Jewish people. You see, even the Apostle Paul, when he was claiming his credentials, he said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. That were these people here. So he was saying, Blessed is he that will eat bread at that great feast in the sky, that great memorial day at the resurrection of the just. And what he was saying is this, we'll be there. It was not only a toast, it was a self-congratulation because they were all congratulating themselves for being there. And of course, then Jesus said to who? Him. He piped up. He thought he was saying something religious. He thought he was saying something Jesus wanted to hear. 
He thought he was saying all the right things, and then Jesus looked straight at him, and as he was saying this parable, he was looking at this man. And so he gives this parable. And we walk through the parable and get the message of this parable. Now that we know the background information, here were the Jewish people who expected, because of their bloodline and their lineage and their credentials, to be at that great feast. He said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. We look at the occasion. It's not just a supper. It says, of course, in verse 1, they just sat at meat. They just sat at a meal. And it was probably a pretty good meal, too. It was in the house of the Pharisee. But he says a certain man gave a great supper, a great feast, and he invited many. So this was a huge event. These kind of great feasts only happened on notable events. So the, the feast was secondary, even though the feast was an, an event in and of itself. Most likely it would be at, at the wedding of a son or at the birth of a child and some notable event or maybe someone who had been gone a long time had come back home. It was one of these notable family events that only happened just for a few times in a lifetime. And even among the wealthy, this was a rare thing to give a great feast. Now, I'm going to chase a rabbit here, but I think it bears noticing that if you look back in the, the first part of the book of Luke in chapter 5, you realize that Jesus sat across from the receipt of customs and he saw Matthew. You remember Matthew, the tax collector. He saw Matthew, the tax collector, and it says he watched him. And then he approached the table of the tax collector and he said, you follow me. And it says that Matthew rose up and left everything and followed Jesus. The very next verse said, and he gave a great feast in his house. What does that tell me? Among all the things that have happened in the life of Matthew, he regarded the day that he followed Jesus as a notable life event that was worthy of a great feast. And you see, he wanted to celebrate and he wanted to invite his friends to meet Jesus. It was a great time. It was a great feast. God intends for our relationship with him to be that way. A great feast, a notable time, something that we would share with our family and friends. He wants our life with him to be like that celebration where everybody we know and love is included into that. So it was a great feast. And he invited many. Now, let's look at the invitation. You say, well, of course, the invitation is right here. Actually, there were two invitations. The first invitation came quite a bit earlier than this feast. Here's what would happen. A man would decide he's going to do a great feast. He's going to invite all of his friends. As he's planning the feast, he would go and tell his friends, I am having a feast for this occasion on this day. And I'd love for you to come. And most of the time they would be gracious and it was just a lot of protocol and, and, and tradition. Oh, I'm not worthy to come and so forth. He expected that so they would, they would continue to invite. Okay, okay, I'll be there. But it was really a great honor. As you notice, they loved these feasts because they would jostle around for the best seats. <clears throat> it was a place to see and be seen, to be noticed. 
It was a place, of course, to climb the social ladder, of networking and that sort of thing. Of course they would come. A man who would give a great feast was an important man. He was a wealthy man. Of course they said they would come. And, of course, he would say it's on this day. Can you come? And, of course, he would get the responses of all those who could come, and he would plan according to the responses of those who had gotten the first invitation. It's like when you get a card in the mail that some notable event's coming up and it says RSVP. Of course, that means uh, let me know where you're coming or not so I have plenty of food. That's exactly what was going on. So he bought the groceries and he killed however many calves he had to kill based on how many were coming to the barbecue. He wanted to have plenty. So we understand the first invitation, they made a commitment that they would be there. And then... On the day of the feast, because you didn't have refrigeration, and they didn't have watches, there was no uh, really a planned time. It was just sometime later in the day, because most feasts were in the evening time. Sometime when everything was ready, because <clears throat> you know, couldn't just keep it hot forever on the buffet table, he would send his servant out and say, everything's ready, come to the feast. That was the second invitation that is mentioned here. Everything's ready, come to supper. Now we have the stage set. All of these people have been invited. All of these people said they had come. The meal was prepared for all these people. Now let's look at their responses. But they all with one accord begin to make excuses. Hmm. Now that's quite startling in the parable because who's he talking to? He's talking to the crowd that had just jostled for the best seats. You wouldn't think of not coming to the feast. But all of them, every one of them, begin to make excuse. It's quite interesting that Marvin Vincent, a Greek scholar, looked at this word to make excuse. This word is used in other places in the New Testament. And when it is used in the original Greek in the New Testament... In the other places, the English translation is, they refused. I think there's something telling there. Anytime we make an excuse for not serving the Lord, it is just simply a refusal. It's a refusal. Oh, that's not the way we see it, because we always have a rationality. We always have an excuse. We always have a ready answer. But they begin to make excuse, but the bottom line is the original word, and really, when it comes down to the reality of it, they just absolutely refuse to come. Now, they tried, of course, to, to give some reason, but the reasons they gave just added insult to injury because we look at the excuses that they gave. It says they all with one accord begin to make excuse. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground. I must go see it. I asked you to have me excused. Now, in that part of the country, buying property like it is today is a lengthy process. It was a lengthy process in which you met with the property owner. And you had to deal, of course, with investigating the property, investigating the owner. Did he really own the property? It was a lengthy process. He would have known about this day when he was talking to the owner about the property. He knew this day was coming. 
He knew the, the feast was on this day. And he also knew about this lengthy process. And did you catch the absurdity of the excuse, I've bought the ground that I've never seen. Now who does that? Who buys a piece of ground that he's never seen? And here's where he's stuck. Here's the hook. Feasts were just about always held at night. His excuse didn't hold any water, did it? He didn't, he didn't have any credibility to it. But with a straight face, he told the servant of that man, I've got to go look at a piece of ground and expected him to believe it. Now, that's the way some of our excuses are, though, aren't they? Aren't they? It's just about the same caliber of excuse. Now, the second man says this. I have bought five yoke of oxen. Now, a yoke held two oxen. That's ten oxen. I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I've bought them. That means he's paid for them, and he hadn't tested them yet. Now, I mean, you guys are going to buy a used pickup truck, and you're going to shell out the money and say, oh, by the way, let me sign, the, let me sign everything here. Here's the money. I've got to go test drive this thing. Now, you never do that. You're going to test drive it first. And so realize this, this doesn't hold any water here. This, this is absurd. And besides this, again, when was the feast? At night. And here's another little detail. How many oxen were this? Ten. Now, those of you who do cattle, even now, ten cows, pretty big capital outlay, isn't it? Somebody that had enough money to buy ten oxen is going to have some staff that could go and test them. He's going to have somebody to handle them. You don't buy ten yoke of oxen. That's more than one man can work. So we know if he had ten yoke of oxen, he had, if he had five yoke of oxen, he had at least four more staff members to, to work them. Somebody could have done that for him. That excuse out of the water. Then in verse 20, and notice these guys were pretty polite. They just said, please have me excused. Now the third one, I've married a wife and I can't come. Pardon me? Pardon me? Excuse me? I've married a wife and I, I can't go anywhere. I, I'm married. Now, number one, this was a male-dominated society. The wife didn't tell the husband to do anything, supposedly. But let me tell you this. I've married a wife and can't come. He knew well in advance about this feast. And as we mentioned several Sundays ago, he also knew well in advance before he was going to get married. You see, marriage was not a rushed-up deal. It took about a year from the time that you planned the wedding till the time you got married. Now, he either knew about the feast before he was making his marriage plans, or he knew his marriage plans when he told the man he would be there. Either way, he knew about both of them at the same time. And realize, to be invited to a great feast, this was a man of means. This was not somebody that would just go get his little sweetie and go elope. It just wasn't done. He was going to have a nice, formal, big, arranged wedding. So we understand he knew ahead of time as well. So none are satisfactory. None of these are satisfactory. None of these hold any water. Now here are the problems with these responses. Number one, it showed a total lack of appreciation for the host's expense and time. Because 
How much food did he know how to prepare? Because they had said they would come. And he didn't just buy all the ingredients for the feast. He bought and prepared all of the ingredients for the feast for them specifically. I prepared this because you said you would come. But they were totally ungrateful. Just didn't care. Just didn't appreciate the expense for what the host was providing. Secondly, it showed a total lack of respect for the host event. It wasn't just a dinner. It was a dinner for some special event in his life. So the fact that you snubbed the dinner meant that your life, important life-changing event means nothing to me. It means nothing to me. I don't care about what was probably the most important day of your life. I don't care about that. That's, that's, what, that's what it shows. It also insulted the host's intelligence. Now, if they had just said, I can't come and left it at that, those other two would still be there. But now for them to give the excuses that they gave, because when you do the background, and he would have known all of these details, they expect him to believe and to accept that excuse. Look at how absurd all three excuses are that they gave to him and they expect him to accept it. And, and this, to believe it. To believe it. But you see, the fact that they gave these excuses added insult upon insult. And fourthly, it showed a total lack of personal integrity. You said, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait a minute. Cut these guys some slack. Cut them some slack. Don't you think these things would have come up and they'd had a legitimate excuse? Oh, no, no. They made a commitment and didn't keep it. Period. They made a commitment and didn't keep it. Period. And the excuses they gave for not keeping their commitment insulted the person they gave a commitment to. And they expected him to just deal with it. They made a commitment and didn't follow through with it. Total lack of personal integrity. I think all of us here have made commitments. A lot of times we make commitments to God. We make commitments to God at New Year's. We call them New Year's resolution. We make commitments to God sometimes on good times. When we're joyful about events in our life. We make commitments to God. We make commitments to God during bad times. Oh God, if you'll just get me out of this, then I'll... You can fill in the blanks. Or sometimes... When we're convicted about something and a worship service has just touched us in our heart and we make commitments to God, maybe it's here, maybe it's at a teen conference, maybe it's at a church camp, maybe it was at a Bible school a long time ago in your life. You made a commitment to God. What happened to it? We still keeping it? You see, these guys made a commitment. And they didn't keep it. And it's an insult. And it's total lack of integrity and responsibility. Well, that's unthinkable. But then Jesus says there's something even more unthinkable. 
And what's unthinkable is the generosity. The servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house, being angry, understandable, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes into the city and go and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Unthinkable generosity, an unimaginable opportunity. And you know, Jesus had said the same thing. He looked at the host of his meal and he said, when you have a great feast, won't you do it different this time? And he tells them to, to invite these people. Here's the unimaginable. None of these people that he mentioned would ever expect to experience a feast like this in their life. Now, in the life of a upstanding, well-to-do Jewish people, you may have a feast like this just every so often. They were rare. And if you had a lot of well-to-do friends, maybe a little bit more frequently. But these things just didn't happen. They didn't happen all the time. But now for these people that are mentioned, the lame, the poor, the halt, the, the crippled, the blind, it never happened. They would never, ever in their wildest imagination think that this could happen. This just was beyond anything that they could ask or think. But now we have a common collection of guests because we look at the guest list and we realize the guest list is very familiar to us today go out to the streets and bring in here the poor the poor even the best of what we call middle class working households live from paycheck to paycheck they were pretty much one day of missed work away from going hungry a lot of them and when you talk about the poor people, they were constantly hungry. They were constantly hungry. They were constantly searching for something to fill that empty spot. This world is filled with people who are hungry. Oh, may not be hungry for the next meal, but they're hungry for purpose, hungry for joy, hungry for happiness in life, hungry for meaning in life. They are just hungry and trying to fill that hole in their life with all of the things that can destroy your life. But also the hurting. It says the poor and the maimed. I think some English translations say crippled. The word maimed here means injury. They were hurting because they'd been injured. Now we mentioned this several weeks ago, that life brings about injury. A lot of times it's broken bones, a lot of times it's broken heart. But life brings about injury, and these people were hurting. But also the illnesses of the day would cause blindness, and would cause paralysis, and would cause weakness. So they were hurting because of injury, they were hurting because of illness. And here's something else, they were lonely. You see... These feasts all had to do with some big, nice family event, a marriage, a birth, someone coming back home. Here's what would happen when I was injured or I am ill to the point I can no longer work. I would go out on the street and I would beg because my family could not afford to take care of me. You see, a family that's just that far away from being hungry, can't afford to have somebody 
that's not participating and contributing to the household budget. So a lot of these people are turned out because their family just can't take care of them. So they're lonely. And here's this thing. If you're blind from birth or crippled from birth, you'd never, ever get married. You'd never, ever have your own future family, and you probably lost your present family. These people were lonely. They didn't have anybody. And we're surrounded with a world of lonely people and hurting people and hungry people. So they would go out and invite them to the banquet. This was so overwhelming and so unexpected that at first, to the person, they would probably, every one of them, refuse to come. Now, why is that? Number one, they would say, I could never go into the house looking like this. I'm filthy. I'm dirty. I've been by the side of the road begging. I could never get there. And then there's the blind man. How am I going to get there? So here's what the host said. Go bring them in. Did you catch that? He didn't say go invite them and then just come back to the house. He said go out and bring them in. You physically scoop them up, put them on the cart, whatever you do, bring them in. It was so overwhelming. And social protocol was this, and you see this in, of course, the, when Jesus is talking about inviting these kind of folks. When I invited you to my big feast, I expected you to invite me to your big feast. And you knew that. It was just social protocol. When I'm invited to a big feast, I would know, oh, man, I've got to invite him to my feast. That's right. So we understand there was no way these people could repay them. So the first thing they would do is say, this is, I can't come. I'm unworthy to come. I absolutely am unworthy. I can't afford to come. And so he said, bring them in. And then he said this, go compel them. Go insist. Don't just leave it at one invitation. Go and invite them over and over and over again that they're welcome here. Bring them into my house is what he said. And then he said that my house might be what? Filled. I want everybody to come. Every corner of the house. There's room for everybody to be here. And that is a picture of heaven. That's a picture of heaven. And God wants his house filled. So he tells his servants, go invite them and invite them again and invite them again. And one more time, be sure and insist to get them into my house. Because when Jesus is talking about a feast, everybody knew he was talking about heaven. Why is that? Well, turn back to Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. All the Jewish people knew this passage of Scripture. They knew that it's talking about heaven when Jesus said a great man, a man made a great feast. And he's beginning to pull in the parable of the invitation. They caught it. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the leaves, of things fat full of marrow, of well-defined, refined wines on the leaves. He will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast 
of all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. And what is that? He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, the rebuke of his people. He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We've waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him, and we'll be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So heaven is that feast. Heaven is where we say we've waited for him. And this is our salvation. Later on, as John was looking to the future, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, it says, Blessed is he that will be at the marriage, what? Supper of the Lamb. Everybody knew that the picture of heaven is a feast. And Jesus said the picture of heaven is this. The host invites all that will come. And some will say no. Some will say no because they feel like they're already in because of whatever credentials or so forth. They'll just say no and they don't appreciate what was done to prepare this place. They don't appreciate the cost of Jesus on Calvary. They don't appreciate any of this. They'll say no to the feast. And God will not leave it at that. He says keep asking and keep asking and keep asking some more. And you insist, you compel. Why? Because I want my house to be full. I've got this feast. I've got this salvation. I've got this special family gathering. And I want you to come. And so the invitation is for all who would come. The price was paid on Calvary so that we can be forgiven. And we can be in the family of God. And we can be in the house of God. And the reason it was paid is because we are like these poor people. There's no way we could ever expect to get in on our own credentials. No way. Sin left us bankrupt. Sin left us crushed. Sin left us injured. Sin left us out there and like these people, they would never ever expect to get into the house. And then the host says, oh, but I've made arrangements. You need to come. You need to come, and there's room for you. And no matter what has left its mark and its injury on our life, there's room in the house, and he wants you to be there. As prepared for an invitation of him, the invitation is for all who would come and enjoy and love being in the house of God Almighty. Jesus paid it all. So that we could have that. So the invitation's being made. And I would say, if you don't know Christ, this is probably not the first invitation, is it? It's another one. God keeps asking. He's going to keep asking. But why say no to such an offer as we stand and sing?